Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. This week on the show, John Rosevier returns for another roundup of electric vehicle news with Volkswagen making a big splash earlier this week, Lordstown Motors getting hit with a short report from Hindenburg Research, and more. John, welcome back on the podcast. Nick, it's great to be here once again. It's great to have you on. We've we've had you working overtime on <laughs> Full.com over the past few months with all this EV news. What does it feel I, I, like I, to be in the center of the spotlight? I have to say, there are mornings where I get up and I'm paralyzed. I tell my wife, "There's so much going on. I don't know where to start writing. I don't know, you know." So, so I, I mean, when that happens, you start to look at things like Twitter and so forth. What's the news flow? Which stocks are moving the most? And then just start to think about it from there. But, but there is almost a paralysis when there's so much. Okay, there are four stories I need to write right now. What do I, you know, <laughs> where do you put the pen to the paper? Virtually speaking, it's it it can be quite something. Yeah, I'm, I'm, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about that uh, that gift from the office where Mike always like, it's happening, it's happening. You know, I think they just pulled a fire alarm or something <laughs> like that. But uh, but anyway, let's let's talk about uh, the news. Lots of big news uh, this week. I said in the opener, uh, uh, Volkswagen is in the news on Monday. They held their power day for investors. The company laid out its roadmap for batteries and electric vehicles going forward. The stock is up over 30% in the past week. Why is everybody so excited, John? Well, VW has been saying now for a few years, you know, we're going to throw tens of billions of dollars in electric vehicles. We want to sell 3 million by 2025, blah, 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 blah. And the market has sort of said, yeah, all right, show us. And now they came out on Monday and said, okay, here's how our battery technology is going to evolve over the next 10 years. Here's how we're going to build enough batteries to do this. And, you know, oh, by the way, we expect to be the global leader in EVs by or before 2025. And and for some reason, this time, uh, which is not the first time they've come out and said stuff, but this time it really caught fire with the market and people really heard it. And uh, and they kept it in the news a couple more days because the next day was uh, a lot of German companies do these annual reports in March where they, you know, they, they, they have a real presentation to investors and to the media and so forth. And Volkswagen's was the next day after that. And they talked about, you know, new models coming and they, you know, they did well in 2020 and, and, and got into some of the financial details of that costs of what the batteries are going to cost over the next several years, how they're going to get them down below a hundred euros per kilowatt hour, which is, which is a target. Um, and, and how, you know, they're already not far from uh, regular internal combustion Volkswagen margins with the first ID electrics that are coming out. Uh, and, and, and I think the market really, it was the right time <laughs> when people are, are, are starting to maybe feel a little squeamish about some of these uh, speculative EV startups for a giant to come out and say, OK, we're building six gigafactories for batteries in Europe and here are where the first two are going to be uh, and, and things like that. And I think it really got investors' attention at the right moment. Right. You mentioned that, that word gigafactories, and that, that's something that, that really popped out to me. You can mention that, that maybe Volkswagen ha, has been laying the seeds uh, for its EV strategy uh, for a number of years, but maybe hasn't been recognized for, for what it's done there. Now, um, starting to get some credit from the market, and I think part of that is adopting a narrative uh, that Tesla has used to, to a, lot of, a lot of success. What do you make of them choosing that gigafactory term, which is a term <laughs> that's very much kind of a Tesla TM branded term? 
Well, I, I, VW CEO Herbert Deese has been pretty clear. You know, we've looked really closely at Tesla. We admire what they're done. Now we're coming for them. I, <laughs> you know, it's kind of that dynamic. I, I, I think that's the term. Uh, you know, if you want to communicate, particularly to investors, we're going to build a big giant factory to build batteries in for electric cars. Gigafactory is the term now. Uh, you know, props to Elon Musk for coining that. I and and. You know, then we argue, okay, how big a factory is a gigafactory? And well, the idea is that each of these six factories that VW is building will be able to do uh, 40 gigawatt hours of batteries per year. So it's a total of 240 by 2030 they'll be able to build. And we should note that this is just Europe. They haven't shown us the China or North American components of this yet, but there will be China and North America components. Uh, you know, they they part of this is also VW speaking to its home crowd saying, we are building in Europe. We are investing in Europe. We're not buying batteries from Asia. We're going to make them in Europe, in European factories with European workers and so forth, which is very important politically for Volkswagen, which among other things is Germany's largest largest employer. And, and, and there are sensitivities around that. They want to remain Germany's largest employer. And Germany wants them to remain largest employer. You know, but each of these, you know, when Tesla announced its gigafactory, the Nevada gigafactory, the original in 2013 or 2014, they, they said some huge number for what it would eventually be able to build. But, but the more realistic number was, you know, 35-ish by giga, gigawatt hours per year by 2020. And so these are roughly comparable in size. And Volkswagen's saying, we're going to build six of them to support you know, our, our production goals. And we're taking control of the battery chain, uh, the battery supply chain. And, you know, we have our own chemistry. And by 2023, 80% uh, of our vehicles are going to be on this new lower cost chemistry that we're developing. The other 20% will be on a premium chemistry. That'll be, it, it, they didn't quite say it this way, but that's the Porsche and Audi chemistry, <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that, that maybe has a little more performance or, or something. Um, and, and then, talking further out, solid state batteries. And this is where QuantumScape uh, comes into the story. We know, we know that VW is a strategic investor in QuantumScape. And they said, you know, eventually we'll go to solid state, uh, certainly on the premium end, and then more broadly as, as they become more widely available as, as production ramps up. Uh, that was somewhat exciting for QuantumScape, but QuantumScape's stock didn't jump a whole lot, mostly, I think, because that was all priced in. That's what we all sort of knew was going to happen with them. And for Volkswagen, a confirmant is nice, but but it didn't it didn't blast the stock up 30% or anything. A VW stock, of course, got blasted by all of this. And then there's another part of this, uh, the whole charging thing, right? Uh, they are building a ton of charging stations in Europe uh, in, with partners, uh, including a, a Spanish utility, Iberdrola, uh, an Italian uh, electric and gas utility, uh, Enel Group, I think it's pronounced, E-N-E-L Group. They are public, but I don't know if they're traded in the United States. And then BP, the, the British Petroleum, the, the, uh, they're going to install fast charging points at BP gas stations throughout Europe, which is, you know, they've already got the real estate and people know to go to the gas station, so put in fast chargers. Uh, here in North America, uh, oh, one more part of this in Europe, which is Ioniti, which people may have heard of. Uh, it was established by VW in partnership with BMW, Daimler, Ford, and I think one other automaker in 2017. Um, to build in Europe a fast charging network. And that has that has been moving out. And VW said, as part of this, they're going to put more money into Ioniti and, and accelerate that. In the US, uh, VW has uh, 
Electrify America, which is a joint venture building fast charging networks. This was part of the Dieselgate settlement a few years back. Uh, they say they'll have 3,500 fast charging points up and running by the end of the year. When we say points, we're talking about an individual charger, a plug. Um, so, so we need to just clarify the lingo. And of course, they're building them like crazy in China, just like everybody else is. Too. I mean, VW said something like between in in a joint venture they have there seventeen thousand fast charging points by twenty twenty five. But uh, you know, there are there are multiple efforts to build fast charging uh, networks in there. I know that that both Neo and Xpeng are building their own. BYD is building one, and and then there are you know various state owned and state funded efforts going on as well. Yeah, so so lots of exciting things going on with BMW when it when it comes to, to laying out their roadmap uh, uh, for batteries as well as just their their production um, schedule for batteries. One thing I, I did think that was interesting on the charging front is at the same time as we've seen lots of hype and excitement around new electric vehicle companies. In conjunction with that, uh, there's been lots of excitement around new electric vehicle charging companies like EVGo is one of them, ChargePoint. Um, there are others as well. I think what really jumped out to me. Uh, from this deal, when you look at at Volkswagen, who who we can project to be, I think in Europe is going to be a top three seller of electric vehicles. They're going to be a very very important oh, quite uh, producer. <laughs> yes, yes, quite yeah, we can say that very very comfortably. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, will bet, I will bet I will bet money on that. Um, the fact that, that the relationships they're forming are with companies like BP Utilities and then then joint ventures that they own, both in Europe and North America, as well as a joint venture in China. Is there read through, John, or do you have thoughts on whether we should read through into the potential market size for some of these other charging players, just given the priorities that the producers of electric vehicles seem to have around who their partners are going to be? Well, as we were noting before the for before the uh, the recording here, uh, ChargePoint stock has had a rough several days in the wake of this. Uh, not surprisingly, because expanding in Europe was a part of their growth case, their growth story. Uh, and now it's, well, okay, you're going to be bumping in against uh, Europe's largest selling automaker, one of the world's two largest selling automakers, uh, or three, depending on how we count. But in any, any event, an industry mega giant that is pouring tens of billions of dollars into this whole electrification effort. Uh, you know, it, it it makes it makes the market a lot more competitive. Uh, among other things, they're going to have to compete on price with these you know these ch stations funded by BP and VW, which may be run at slightly over break even to get people in BP's you know convenience stores or whatever. I mean, gas sells at very low margins because because of all the extras that gas stations sell. You can see this easily going in a similar direction in terms of pricing. Um, you know, and and with utilities in this likewise. So. You know, it, it's rough for ChargePoint, who's got to make a profit that will imp impress their investors and who doesn't have, you know, utility customers or, you know, convenience stores or, a, you know, a giant global auto business to fall back on here. Uh, so, yeah, it, it is tough. And it does point out that we've kind of been saying this for years, but now you start to see it with the big players coming into electric vehicles. Uh, it's going to be harder than it looks for startups to gain traction. And you know, ChargePoint already has some traction, uh, certainly in the U.S. I, I don't know offhand the size of their network in Europe, but there's some. Uh, you know, but they're bumping up against stiff competition that maybe doesn't have to make a meaningful profit uh, or, or a significant margin on on charging services themselves. And yeah, it's going to be tough. And and you're going to see this play out in other corners of this uh, electric vehicle transition space as well. 
Yeah, something to keep uh, to keep in mind as we pay attention to the these deals playing out. Um, there's there's real competition. There's going to be some players coming into this EV charging space or just electric vehicle space um, in general that we haven't thought of as you know big EV players historically. And you know along those lines, we had another announcement from another major uh, German automaker this week on Wednesday. Uh, BMW held an event where, where they discussed their rollout uh, uh, for electric vehicles. What were the big takeaways uh, for that for for BMW? Uh, they want to bring battery-powered models to half of their global sales by 2030. BMW is not quite all in on EVs. You know, we've heard companies like General Motors saying we're going to try to sell 100% EVs by 2035. BMW is hedging their bets on that a little bit. Uh, they are accelerating their EV programs. Uh, what has happened at BMW is early in the last decade, they were kind of out front, at least among the German luxury makers, with the i3 and then the hybrid i8 sports car, and it looked like they were making some some real progress there. And then there was uh, a boardroom squabble, a CEO change, et cetera. And those efforts kind of got put on the back burner. And they were like, before we do that, we've got to sell a lot more SUVs and things like that to get our margins up and get more cash in the bank. Uh, now they're at the point where they're saying, okay, now we're going to accelerate um, you know, our electric vehicle efforts. We're going to have at least one fully electric vehicle uh, in our lineup in 90% of our global markets in two years. We're going to try to deliver 2 million by the end of 2025. Um, but they are, they are, like I said, they're hedging their bets. They are not, at least as of right now, uh, building their own battery supply chain. They're going to buy from existing suppliers. They're also not ending internal combustion engine development, uh, as we've heard from some other automakers that, you know, one more generation and we're done. BMW thinks that there will be some customers for internal combustion uh, over EV uh, for some time to come, and not just like in the developing world where charging may be scarce, but also like in parts of the United States where, you know, people have money and so forth, but just don't want to do the EV thing yet or whatever. And they think they can get some of that, you know, that that some of that business is going to be worth chasing and, and, and winning uh, indefinitely probably not 50 years out, but certainly 10 or 15 years out. Uh, and, and that's interesting. And it's, in, and it's different from what we're hearing from companies like Volkswagen and, and GM and even Ford and so forth. Uh, and, and they also, one other thing they did was they showed uh, three months ahead of plan, uh, the i4, which is, I, I mean, it looks like an electric BMW i3. It sits a little bit higher. If you're familiar with BMW's Grand Coupe models, it's, it's in that sort of design language neighborhood uh you know this is this is intended to be an electric version of the three series which is bmw's iconic car the the, the luxury sports sedan it's a four-door it's it, it it looks about the size of a three series it has that big grill that they just introduced on the three series something very similar uh and and you know they're they're saying all the things you want to hear sporty performance 300 miles of range so forth and so on um it, it you know, is this is this the competitor to the Model Three that we've all been waiting for? I mean, <laughs> yeah, Tesla named its car Model Three for a reason, and I, I I think that they were looking at the corner of their eye, saying, you know, okay, you like the BMW Three Series? Here's the Model Three. I, I really think there was some of that thinking going on at Tesla, although they haven't quite acknowledged it. But now here's BMW saying, okay, you want an electric BMW? 
this this is it and it it looks the part and it will it will drive like a bmw and and deliver on on bmw's brand promise and so forth and so on right so this adds to that you know you always hear these auto commercials it's the best in its class right this adds to the class with with the model three and so the extent to which we see continued uh, competition come online one thing i wanted to ask you about uh, uh john is we do have this a little bit different approach um, from BMW saying, you know, we think we're still going to be producing, uh, you know, traditional internal combustion engines into the future. The CEO seems to be a big fan of hybrids and says, you know, I really like how hybrids drive um, and, and those sorts of things. We talked earlier about Volkswagen. They've adopted Tesla's branding with, with the Gigafactory. Definitely seems to, to have a marketing approach to, to their push into electric vehicles. General Motors ran a Super Bowl ad around their electric vehicle rollout. There's certainly some some marketing, some narrative going on, and the, the stocks that have moved along. BMW kind of putting forward a, a different narrative. If you had to pick, which one of those do you think is closer to the truth? The narrative of we're all electric by 2030 or BMW's narrative of, you know what, we think that, that there's going to be some demand for internal combustion engines for an indefinite period into the future or, or, or somewhere in between? I think it's somewhere in between. I, I mean, I think BMW has a point. BMW isn't the only company saying that. Toyota has been saying for a long time, uh, it, we think hybrids are a better solution in, until recharging times come way down. And, you know, they're talking like five, 10 minutes to completely recharge. And it, certainly Toyota plans to build internal combustion engines uh indefinitely you know i mean probably through 2040 i think is the most recent thing they said but you know toyota sells in markets where maybe there isn't going to be a lot of electric recharging infrastructure you know in africa and places like that for a while uh and they think you know there are still um improvements to be found greening up to do with hybrids you know you get to plug in hybrids uh you know if you've got a city where they say okay you, you can't run internal combustion in the city center between these hours on these days or whatever well the plug-in hybrid you can switch you know at least in theory to an electric only mode and and go into the city and then you know once you're on the highway going home switch back to, to a hybrid mode uh Solutions like this that Toyota has already uh, not only invested in for years and years, but gained significant market share with uh, in 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 green vehicles and hybrids and so forth. They they are, I think, the world's leader in hybrids. Uh, certainly, the leading in the United States. Um, you know, they think that's going to run for a while longer. I, I, I mean, one one of the things I've been hearing from Toyota executives for several years is we don't believe consumers are going to put up mass market consumers on a huge scale are going to put up with recharging times where, you know, you have to sit for 40 minutes or 30 minutes or even 20 minutes. Uh, that was one reason why they, they were, have been um, investing some money in fuel cells. You can recharge a fuel cell car by refilling the hydrogen tank in five minutes and it's fully electric. Uh, you know, the costs haven't quite come down to where that makes sense as a, as a Corolla level product. Uh, but, you know, people tinker and, and there's still experimentation going on. And I think what we're seeing in the broader market is there's going to be a niche for fuel cells, first responders, military, things like that, heavy trucks. Uh, but, you know, there, there are a lot of ways that this can all come together uh, to clean up a lot of the pollution put out by internal combustion engines today. 
Uh, you know, it can be a mix of, for a lot of people, an electric car is going to make a lot of sense. You're in the developed world. You have easy access to charging. You're mostly using it as a commuter vehicle. Yeah, absolutely. Charge it up at home at night and maybe once every few months, you know, when you go see grandma 200 miles away, you've got to charge out at a public charging station. Uh, or you do the Tesla thing uh, where in some areas, the supercharger stations kind of become social things. I'm going to go over to the ch station on Saturday morning and wait in line and chat with other Tesla owners while I wait to charge. Uh, you know, and, and and for a lot of people, that's going to be completely workable. Other people, they're going to want to go to the gas station. They're going to want internal congestion. They're going to say, but what about hurricanes when you can't get to the charging station? Uh, you know, I want to have, if I have a full tank of gas in my garage, that's always ready, even if the power goes out, even if, you know, even if this or that. Uh, it's going to take more time to win those people over, and it's going to take a couple evolutions of products probably to win those people over. And in the meantime, you know, I think BMW and Toyota have, have a point that there will be some market for internal combustion vehicles for, you know, at least another 20 years, um, give or take. And that number's off the top of my head to some extent. Could it move faster? Sure. Could it take longer? Yes, equally sure. Uh, it depends on, on, you know, how well the next generation of mass market electric vehicles are received by mass market consumers. You know, you're going out to buy a new SUV. You looked at the Toyota, you looked at the Honda, you looked at the Ford. How many of those are electric in 2026? And, you know, which one's the best one and for your family versus a hybrid or something like that. It's going to be people making those decisions uh, by the millions over the next decade that sort of determine the outcome. And my sense is there's still going to be some room for ICE to wrap back up to your original question here. Uh, but we're going to reach a point on cost and features and performance and charging ubiquity where EVs um, sell themselves to a lot of people. Certainly. And, and I think that the... The big thing with yeah, the auto market, this is something a product that eventually everybody has to have is the theory. Everyone has a car, or at least everyone in the developed world for the most part. And you know, if you look at the numbers, there's actually more cars on the road than registered drivers, and we can get into we can get into all, all those sorts of things. Um, but it's a product that ha that has to somehow meet the needs uh, for everyone. And you you know, you have this classic thing from early adopters all the way through to to you know the the latest adopters. We're maybe crossing over into the mass market now, but it's going to take a long time uh, uh, for that to take place. So we'll just see um, what happens there. One last thing. I did think it was interesting uh, um, from BMW. We talked about Volkswagen's approach to, to build a network of battery factories um, across Europe. BMW has said, we're not going to do that. We're going to work just with suppliers, kind of going with the, the kind of traditional auto model, very, very kind of uh, uh, supplier focused. Um, pros and cons of, of that approach for, for BMW versus owning its proprietary technology, like it sounds Volkswagen is attempting to do. Uh, GM is also attempting to do that. We should point out GM and LG together are working on a couple of gigafactories in the United States. And I don't think they're going to be far off what Volkswagen said, although they haven't announced it all yet. But with respect to BMW and what they're doing, well, it's a strategy. It's a strategy that requires less upfront investment. And, you know, they have less cash to work with than somebody like Volkswagen, uh, just because of the size of their business and so forth. And, you know, maybe that makes sense for them. Maybe they've got commitments from LG, CATL, one of the other, you know, Asian battery giants that they can get sufficient supply. Maybe they don't care about building in Europe so much as long as they can get enough batteries. Um, also very possible, maybe in 2024, they're going to completely rethink that plan. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when, 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 you know, their new EVs are more popular than they can comfortably keep up with in terms of production, maybe they're going to say, well, okay, now we need some battery factories. <laughs> I think that's entirely possible. Yeah, so, so we'll see uh, what happens here. Lots of exciting things going on with some of these traditional automakers 
doing new things uh, when it comes to electric vehicles and this, this new technology. Um, in other news on, on the electric vehicle front, we've got news about uh, an electric vehicle company that apparently isn't doing things that they said <laughs> they would do. Uh, on March 12th, uh, Hindenburg Research released another uh, short report. They were they were the, the short sellers behind the original uh, Nikola short report uh, back in September. But on March 12th, Hindenburg Research released a short report uh, on Lordstown Motors. That's ticker R-I-D-E, ride. Stock is down over 20% uh, since that report came out. John, what is Hindenburg alleging uh, is going on with, with Lordstown here? Uh, there's a lot to it. It's a long report. And if you own Lordstown stock, I, I assume you've already read it. And if not, go do that right now and then come back and listen to the rest of the podcast, um, or at least read the executive summary. Uh, the gist of it is this. Uh, Lordstown came out in January and said, we got 100,000 pre-orders for our endurance pickup truck. Their first product is is an electric pickup. It's being built in an old GM plant in Lordstown, Ohio, hence the name of the company. Uh, they have designed this, they say, for the needs of commercial fleet operators. And they think there's a big market for, you know, the, the zillions of pickups that companies like Comcast, like oil field services companies, like big contractors buy every year. They think they can sell profitably into that market. And they came out in January and said, we got 100,000 pre-orders for this. And the stock went up and, and investors said, yay. And Wall Street smiled. And now Hindenburg comes out and says, yeah, you paid some consultants to go out and find pre-orders. And some of your fleet pre-orders that you've touted come from companies that don't seem to operate fleets and don't even seem to be real, maybe. And, <laughs> you know, and and that that CEO Steve Burns has been paying consultants to generate pre-orders for several years. He was the CEO of Workhorse Group, uh, which is an affiliated company. We'll get into that in a moment. Um, Workhorse owns about 10% of Lordstown. That's another company that 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 we've talked about that that seems to be a, a, a company in search of a business model to some extent uh, it, you know it, but but Hindenburg alleged that he had been doing that at at workhorse as well uh, generally a lot of the report just trashes Steve Burns they say he's a con man he's PT Barnum uh, you know one senior employee told us while working with Steve for a couple of years, they saw more questionable and unethical business practices than they had seen in their entire career. Well, I don't know where that senior employee worked for before, but that certainly doesn't sound good. Um, they, they also separately and relatedly said, you know, Workhorse showed the, the endurance pickup last year. It was in June or July, I think. Uh, and they said, all right, we're working to put it into production. And the first ones will ship in September of 2021 this year. Uh, but, Hindenburg has alleged that they've been making drastic changes to the truck's design uh, and could actually be three to four years away from full production. Uh, Lordstown has claimed that it will build its battery packs in-house, but Hindenburg alleges that the equipment to do so won't even arrive at the factory for months yet. Uh, they are currently building battery packs by hand, which is not a high-volume operation, <laughs> you know, to say the least. If you're, battery packs are complicated. I don't know if you've ever seen one, but wiring up all the cells and so forth and installing the controllers and then putting them in a hardened case. And, it, it, you know, if, if it's two guys with soldering irons, it's going to take you quite a while to do this. Uh, they also, in in a note somewhat rem reminiscent of what the, <laughs> their, their uh, rather vicious takedown of Nikola, they said, Lordstown's first on-road test of a prototype endurance uh, only happened in January, and it ended after 10 minutes because the vehicle caught fire. 
And, <laughs> you know, this is going into production in September. You know, no, it, it, it is not. I mean, you know, you look at uh, Ford is saying they're going to start building their electric F-150 uh, in the middle of next year, 2022. And we've already seen um, them out hammering on prototypes. You know, they look like regular 50s, F-150s, but then photographers note they don't have any exhaust pipes and they aren't making any sound. Uh, so, you know, Ford's already out there beating on these things. Uh, we're, uh, Lordstown is using uh, a, somewhat of a new design where the motors are in the wheel hubs too. And they have apparently, they apparently say they're going to do 20,000 miles of testing on that design before they begin production. And the whole auto industry said, you ought to be adding a zero to that at least with something like this. You're going to be selling these to fleet customers. They're going to be beat on every day, maybe out in the sticks on bumpy roads and so forth and so on. And people will expect them to just work with minimum downtime. Uh, you know, what are y'all doing? <laughs> and then they had their earnings report last night and uh, their loss was somewhat wider than Wall Street had expected, but you know, big deal. Uh, more significantly was that Steve Burns acknowledged that Following the release of the Hindenburg report, uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission has been uh, asking for more information about these allegations. And then Burns went on CNBC this morning with Phil LeBeau and was like, you know, we never said we had actual orders. We didn't have a product yet. So by definition, you can't have orders. I don't think anybody thought we had actual orders, which is, to my mind, if you watch the whole clip, and and, and you should go do that, um, He's he's admitted guilt here. <laughs> it certainly, it certainly has that feel to me. I mean, not court of law feel, but certainly as an investor, I I am I, you know if I was feeling good about my Lordstown investment a week ago, and the Hindenburg report gave me some qualms, I today have a lot more qualms. <laughs> right. So I, th I think yeah. you know we've talked about how there are some parallels to the Nikola Motor story when it comes to. You know, having a vehicle that you say can do one thing that in practice can do another when it comes to a, you know, a CEO, a leader publicly making claims about the company that the reality um, doesn't back up. It, it seems to mirror that very closely. Also, Hindenburg um, involved. And like the Nikola story, the allegations are one thing and short seller short selling reports come out all the time with varying levels of uh of accuracy to their allegations, but the response is really where where you can get a lot of inf valuable information as the investor. In the case of Nicola, it was a non-denial denial. In the case of uh, of Lordstown, th this appearance on Squawk Box uh, this morning, uh, yeah, highly recommend folks to follow, uh, check out that clip. I'll throw the link in into the the podcast notes. Um, not the response, the strong response you would look for uh, for someone who 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 you know has. The, the good on, on their side. So, yeah, I mean, with Nicola, I mean, you had the non response response that we're hiring all the lawyers ever, and then the founders out the door. And some of the products they were talking about, well, we're not actually going to be building those after all. And, you know, some of the partnerships that had been teased before this came out, well, they're not happening actually. <laughs> you had a big reset of the business. And, and frankly, Nicola, you know, it's still going and there are still the bones of a business there, but it looks a lot shakier than you might have thought last summer that it would ever look. Uh, you know, what happens to Lordstown? Well, they do have a real factory in the sense that they have a giant building that used to belong to General Motors. Uh, GM is an investor here. Uh, have that in common with Nikola, too. <laughs> you know, as Hindenburg GM's after the fact due diligence department, we were joking. Um, but, you know, so there is something here. Uh, 
you know, it, is it going to turn into a real business? I have no idea at this point today. Uh, I, I don't have a ton of confidence that, I, I mean, I have little confidence that they're going to come through unscathed. They're already scathed to some extent. Um, you know, the story now has some some very big questions open on it. I I, I don't know where it goes for here from here, but but it does call, uh, you know, the whole the whole growth case, the whole bull case for the company into question also calls some, it raises some big questions about Workhorse here. This is, I mean, this is really a spinoff of Workhorse, not structurally, but functionally in that this was Workhorse's truck. Uh, Steve Burns went up and it, when the opportunity to acquire the GM plant came up, they they set up a separate company to do it. Steve Burns had been CEO of Workhorse. He went to be CEO of Lordstown. Workhorse owns 10% of Lordstown and gets a royalty on every truck they sell uh, and, and also gets uh, money, a, a small cut as Lordstown raises money, as they raise capital. Uh, so... You have to go back and look at Workhorse, which I know is a favorite in the in the sort of Kathy Wood world, or has been, um, and say, well, what's really going on at that company now? And I and I wonder if that isn't the next shoe to fall here. Yeah, it's something we'll, we'll continue watch. This juxtaposition of you know some of these traditional automakers really putting significant cash to work and saying you know we're we're pushing our chips in in EV at the same time as you know. We're seeing some narratives in the startup companies start to start to maybe show they're not as well supported as they'd been in the case of Nikola, and now now we see what's going on uh, um, here with Lordstown. We'll watch, and you know, uh, we'll give the company the benefit of the doubt. We'll, we'll see how they respond and what what they're able to do. But if Nikola is any example, um, I'm not very very optimistic. Um, and maybe any last thoughts on, on on Lordstown before before we wrap up, John? Uh, only that. You know, when 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 you get a big bubble like this, and, and, you know, Tesla stock ran way, way, way up, and then all of a sudden we see all these other electric vehicle companies coming kind of out of nowhere or out of quiet existence. These spec deals going public, blah, blah, blah. This seems like part of that. I mean, I remember seeing some of this in 1999, in the fall of 99, into early 2000, as these crazy dot-coms were coming out of nowhere, and a lot of them turned out to be nothing more than a PowerPoint presentation, as we said at the time. Uh, I mean, obviously, you need to show more in the car business, but you know, maybe you're not, maybe it turns out there's not as much there. Uh, I I will note, uh, and I want to be careful how I say this. Uh, I looked this morning, and Fisker stock was down six or seven percent. We have no reason to suspect anything is fishy with Fisker at all at this hour. But I think people are saying, okay, here's another speculative pre-revenue um, electric vehicle startup. Maybe I'm losing my appetite for these kinds of investments, and I wonder if we're going to see more of that effect throughout uh, what I've called the EV startup cohort. Um, over time, over the next few weeks, as this continues to unfold, where it's like, okay, fool me once, that was Nikola. Fool me twice, uh, well, now we got to think about all of these things, and especially if, if uh, you know, this leads into workhorse and some questions about that business as well. Right. It reminds, this is a George Bush quote, right? Fool, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, won't get fooled again, right? So, something, so <laughs> something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's another there's another one that I can't recall right now but anyway yeah something like that <laughs> yeah so, so you talk about you, you made the 1999 comparison uh, an example I, I've, I've I've talked about on full live and maybe on this podcast in the past is when Tesla came public it was the first uh, automaker to come public in the US in over 50 years this year we're looking at over 10 in 2020 maybe maybe you know maybe more than that I don't even know if I if I laid them out and counted them so so clearly the narrative right now around electric vehicles is very 
very positive. I think frothy is an adjective that would be fair to use. You know, you look out three years from now, BMW, uh, uh, Volkswagen has said they want to have their new uh, uh, battery chemistry being deployed in 2023. So I think three years is a good time to say, you know, maybe some of these plans will play out. Um, how do you think the narrative around electric vehicles is different three years from now than it is today? Three years from now. Um, I, I, I think you're going to see a lot of the longtime major global automakers uh, having stepped up fully and embraced this with good products. I mean, holy smokes, the Ford Mustang Mach-E is getting great reviews. Everybody's like, well, you know, you want a Tesla alternative? Here it is from the Ford Motor Company, right? And, you know, and, and, and they delivered. They said they were going to do that, and they delivered. You're going to see more of that. You're going to see that from GM. You're going to see that from Volkswagen, certainly. Uh, I expect BMWs will be pretty good. Daimler, Mercedes-Benz will be in here. Uh, some of the Japanese automakers have been quiet, but we know that Toyota is going to show uh, a significant electric vehicle next year. Uh, maybe others sooner. There's another one coming much sooner for China, I know. Uh, but but just you're going to see some of these companies coming out with very credible, very serious products that can compete with anybody, uh, whether it's Tesla or whatever the favorite startup of the day. And you're going to see some of these startups really hitting a wall. You know, well, you're going to make electric delivery vans. That's great. Ford and GM are shipping thousands of theirs a month. Where's the market for yours? You're going to start to see those questions. This is a tough business. And I think electric vehicle investors in their excitement have not really realized this is a gritty, low margin business where you make money on volume and you spend millions and millions and millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, before you ship a single vehicle when you're developing a new one. And, And that's all true of electric vehicles, even if as as our experts tell us, they'll have fewer parts, they'll be somewhat cheaper to build too, and so forth. But it will still be true that you need a huge industrial investment, a huge R&D investment, a huge product development investor, all those people out in the prototype Ford trucks banging over rocks for a year to make sure nothing breaks. All of that stuff costs a lot of money. And and a lot of these little companies just aren't going to be able to compete in that world. So the, the narrative may be that a few of the best of the best, you know, I don't think Tesla's going anywhere. Um, I, I think that company may go through some some restructuring, some changes if, if the market hits the skids for a while. Uh, but certainly Tesla has both the volume and the cash and the brand, three things, not both, uh, to be around for a while. You may see uh, names emerge out of the the smaller, earlier stage companies as well. Neo looks like it might be around for a while in China. Uh, some of these others, Fisker could find a niche, um, assuming they're not Hindenburg's next target or something, right? You know, and, and again, we have no reason to believe uh, there's anything uh, less than up and up about Fisker. Uh, but I, I, I think the narrative around electric vehicles is going to shift in three years to, um, you know, when will there be enough for everybody? Uh, is there a reason to stay? You'll have consumers debating, is there still a reason to buy a gas car? Or should I just go with this? Uh, you know, when, when half of your local Ford dealer's lot is electrics, um, and most, and then there's hybrids and a couple Mustangs, I, you know, I mean, it, it, it's going to start to look very ordinary to people in three years, if not before, to buy an electric vehicle, not just a techie thing, a cool thing, an early adopter thing. Uh, the technology will cross the chasm into the mainstream. How many of these companies that have appeared uh, from Tesla on will cross into the mainstream? I don't know. I think I think in 2030, a lot of your electric vehicles are going to come from companies with names like Ford and GM and VW and Toyota and Honda and so forth, uh, along with a few new entrants. Um, 
but most of these companies won't get traction. And again, I think in three years, uh, the narrative will shift more towards uh, the established players and and what kind of progress they're making and what consumer adoption looks like. Yeah, John, when you talk about the, the difficulties of scaling, I think it's, it's a testament to, to what Tesla has accomplished. You talk about Tesla was the first automaker to become public in the US in over five decades. It's because it's really, really hard, right? And the fact that, that Tesla has been able to build is a miracle. I don't think Tesla is a disruptive company, but they entered the auto business, and that is a huge thing. It's a huge thing. Yeah, yeah, and so and so I, I think when, when you look at uh, I think when we look back three years from now, I think we're going to appreciate even more how hard it was for what for Tesla to be able to accomplish what they did, um, and and you know some of the challenges that these other companies face uh, will live up to that. I think lots of people are looking for the next Tesla. I don't know that there will be a next Tesla. What they've accomplished, I think, is going to be very, very, very hard um, to duplicate. Um, but but we'll see. We'll, we'll continue following the story, John. And if this past you know few months is any precedent, we'll have a lot more to talk about. Uh, in the months ahead. So thank you for joining me as always. Thank you. As always, people on the program may own the companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Dan Boyd for his work behind the virtual glass. For John Rosevere, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. 